just decided to enter the minds of two dudes who love the outdoors and live an active lifestyle. Join us as we share anything from hiking and hunting to strength training and general fitness and all the in-between. Laugh, learn, help. Live a little through us. Welcome to the Active Man Podcast. And we are back. In the luxurious podcast studio of all at Bluemouth and Fitness. You start off this podcast the same way. I know. Just feels right. It does. It feels right to be back. Hopefully everybody's done working out. How dare they be working out during business hours. Indeed. Ruining our podcast audio. As if we don't. Ruin it ourselves. Unbelievable. Well, okay. how was your weekend? <laughs> My weekend was good. Why don't you talk a little bit about your weekend first? All right, yeah. So, went down to my girlfriend's who lives in Northern Virginia. Uh, did a bunch of cool hikes. Not a bunch, just one. Uh, actually, right near where she lives. Went down to Virginia and uh, enjoyed some, some pretty good weather and some pretty good hiking down there. Uh, I did run across a snake or two, much to your demise, as you sent me a DM with some choice words. I angrily scoffed at you for posting another reckless, aggressive snake video. Where it looked like you were trying to catch it. And that thing wanted your head. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it wanted my head. But it, it was lively. It was lively. It was a juvenile milk snake. And um, my girlfriend's cat was the first one to find it. And that's why it was so lively. Well, juvenile or not, those things are aggressive and dangerous. They're not. They are. They're not. They are. Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. Um, but something relevant to the last podcast, I know that this comes as much joy to you, but Megan, my girlfriend, was telling me that at her vet clinic, they have gotten upwards of 10 copperhead bites on dogs that have been brought in. You know, and that's only the reported number. There's that probably is. about 50. That is. Um, plus. And it was pretty funny timing because of uh, our last few podcasts and, uh, well, not our last one, but the one before that. I thought it was really funny when she was, uh, when she was texting me about it because I was, as soon as she was like, with dude, We've had so many copper bites, or copper bites, (laughs) (laughs) copperhead bites come in, and I was like, shit, Ben is going to find out about this sooner or later. Now you see the light. You know what I'm talking of. They are dangerously aggressive, (laughs) much more than you initially had talked about. 
It's not true. It is true. I'll give you some reasons why it's not true. Uh, The Northern Virginia area in the last, like, two, three weeks has gotten a ridiculous amount of rain. And what happens oftentimes when you get that much rain that they got, uh, all that water displaces a lot of different animals. So you see a bunch of different stuff after these heavy, heavy rains. And what likely had happened was um, the homes or the residences of these copperheads were likely filled with water and it actually caused them to leave or at least find new territory. Um, Call it what you will, but basically they became aggressive. Like I said, they attacked animals. Mm -hmm. Like I said, therefore, everything I said was true. And nothing was wrong. So, (laughs) (laughs) when these copperheads strike like this, you actually have to, like, consider what these these dogs or, or cats are doing. So, most of the time, when dogs get bit, it's, like, on the face or on the nose because they want to get into everything. They, they, they were got just very going good to... S- of smell. They were sniffing them out. Checking them out. They sniffing them out. They were. Just and like you claimed the copperhead was checking me out when it went hell-bent into the water and swam as fast as it could... To try and kill me. Yeah, but you didn't stick your face in its face but like it dogs do. You're right. And I was not right next to it, and it still tried to chase me down and kill yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, people don't recognize, like, dogs are, in the human context, very smart, very loving. You know, they're a domesticated animal. But when it comes to actual survival they're dumb they're not smart they just like to check people don't understand that yeah and like you let your dog out in you know areas that are prime snake habitat there's a good chance that they're actually going to get a bit because they want to check everything out i mean they're loving animals and i love them too i love my dog but I would never trust my dog with around snake. any kind of snake. I wouldn't. But that's not the snake's fault. No, the dog doesn't know any better either. No, it doesn't. But uh, an interesting piece of information is that you're actually more likely to have like a wet bite as opposed to a dry bite from a snake if it's younger. Or, or juvenile, because they have almost no control of the venom glands. You mean they... wet, like with poison, dry without poison? You saying poison is a good segue. Venom. Venom, yeah. Uh, don't, don't segue on that. <laughs> I meant venom, but yeah. poison came out, just like the copperhead tried to unleash its poison into my veins. It's venom. Sorry, I got excited. Yeah, that's what I meant. Venom. Yeah. Same thing. (laughs) It's poisonous to us. Mm -hmm. It's venomous to us. But, Jesus. But, yeah. Um, So, yeah, there were a ton of copyhead bites down there. And uh, I thought it would... I thought you might like to hear something like that. I don't like to hear anybody getting bit. But the confirmation of them attacking things comforts me a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's not attacking. They're not seeking things out and attacking things. They could be attacking in defense mode. Yeah, I mean, it's a defensive strike to attack. <laughs> sure, whatever. Agree to but disagree. Agree to disagree. But my... <laughs> Really what my goal was this weekend was to find some timber rattlesnakes. Um, so we went up on this hike, uh, Star Tannery, Virginia, Frederick County. Nobody's probably heard of that. It's a very, very small town. It's like not even a town. But yeah, so we went up on this, uh, on this rock face that has at least been known to, uh, to harbor rattlesnakes. And, Were they sunbathed? Where they sunbathe. Gotcha. So you're likely going to find uh, at least timber rattlesnakes if you're in the east, um, northeast, kind of mid-Atlantic regions. They are a little bit of a higher elevation snake in, in um, kind of compared to a lot of the other snakes. They like ridge tops, specifically south, southwest facing ridge tops because they get the that evening sunlight where they mm. can come out and bask in these as the temperatures wind down, they would, they would, they would, but, um, I didn't find any, unfortunately, uh, fortunately (laughs) for your health. Yeah. Fortune and safety, whatever. But, uh, in terms of rattlesnakes, I did find another interesting story, which is, uh, another good reason why not to kill snakes or not to even mess with them. Uh, just this past week in Texas, this woman was working in her garden, and she realized after you know, like pulling weeds or doing whatever she's doing, that um, there was a western diamondback rattlesnake right near her hand, and so she got all freaked out, I guess, and and called her husband over. Her husband proceeded to decapitate the snake with a shovel, and yes. then proceeded to pick the snake's head up. The snake, not consciously doing it, I think, but reactively, like, the nerve endings were still working, uh, actually sunk his fangs into the man, releasing all of its venom because its head wasn't attached to its body. And uh, the guy got really sick, like, really messed up. I I don't even know if he's, like, out of the hospital yet. Um, But I think that's a good moral of the story is that if you've got... A snake in your yard that's a venomous snake, don't kill it. Just literally takes five minutes to call a wildlife control specialist. Like, just look it up on Google. Give them a call. Most of the time, they do it for free. Give them a call. They'll really locate the snake safely, and you won't ever have to deal with it again. Or, if you do kill it, don't be a dumbass and pick up the head. Yeah, I would really prefer you not kill it at all. But, yeah, sure. I, I understand. But... Again, if you do kill it, don't be a dumbass. Jeez. Yeah, don't be dumb. Especially, like, just don't pick the snake's head up with your bare hand. Like, I wouldn't do that, ever. Ever. But you're a snake wrangler and you know better. Yeah, but even non-snake handlers, which... Most of the time, I won't even handle a snake if it's really, really hyped up, mostly because I don't feel like getting bit. Because, I mean, you grab a snake, it's going to grab you back. Yeah. Um, now, you will get some really, really docile snakes like ringnecks or 
some garter snakes. Gar- some garter snakes can get pretty hyped up as the temperatures come up. They um, effing bite, and they will. They yeah, they'll bite you. But yeah. I mean, you can't not expect that. And it's not like it's a like it's an evil thing. It's not like an evil act of them trying to destroy you or consume you because they know they can't. They're terrified. But yeah, so I get it. You know, moral of the story: you got a venomous snake in your yard. Don't chop its head off. Just but call if, somebody. But if you do, don't pick it up. Definitely don't pick it up. I'm not condoning the killing of any snakes because. One, I love them. Two, I mean, they actually do benefit ecosystems and ultimately people. Like, you don't like to get the Lyme disease, do you? I know like it the Lyme's. No like it the Lyme's. Or Alpha-Gale syndrome. I know like it the Alpha-Gale. You know what Alpha-Gale does to you? <laughs> no, tell me. It's transmitted by lone star ticks uh, and ticks that harbor the, I don't know if it's a bacteria or a virus, but... Um, Lone star ticks that have whatever it is that gives you alpha gale actually makes you allergic to red meat. Oh, God, that would be terrible. And, like, especially for us, how horrifying would that be? Like, to live literally the rest of your life not being able to consume red meat. I, one, don't know how vegetarians do it, but, you know, they, they want to for a reason. They decide they choose not to for a reason. It would be horrible to f- be forced to not have red meat like that. I would literally be a hundred pounds if I didn't eat red meat. I might be two hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one ninety. So you know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that people don't recognize when they you know, vilify snakes is, is the benefits that they get from them as well. Um, I, like, what would you rather have, honestly, in your yard? Like, an infestation of rats or, like, three snakes? I'd be fine with the snakes if I didn't see them. And see, now they the leave truth me alone, comes I leave out. Them alone. They leave me alone, I leave them alone. And that's completely fine. That's... I would love for all people to have that. But I was attacked. So therefore, I'm a little gun-shy of snakes. I think what we got to do... No, I'm not... I know what you're going to say. We're not doing it. We're doing it. We're not doing it. Come on. We got to just go out on a one herping adventure. The only thing that I will do is we will ride our little asses up to Clyde Peeling's reptile land, and I'll look at snakes there. I'm not going herping. I'm not going to Clyde Peelings. Clyde Peelings, by the way, is a is a like a basically a little exotic zoo we have in central Pennsylvania, uh, and it's it's pretty cool if you want to go out and, and see some like exotic stuff. animals and yeah. large constrictors. Or I, I do believe they have some some venomous snakes there, but not too many. They got like some poison dart frogs and some alligators. It's pretty cool. And I think that those things really do a good job of, like, educating, especially rural communities, uh, on snakes or reptiles or the things that, like, most people are afraid of or hate or are disgusted by. Um, So kudos to Clyde Peelings. I don't know if that's actually a person, but... It is, man. He was on, like, The Tonight Show and stuff. 
Really? Yeah, man. Just like, uh, who's the other guy? They had him on where he showed off some of the reptiles that he had. It might not have been the Tonight Show, but one of the late shows. They had the him late, on once late in a show? Yeah, man. Really? Yes. I, wow. I thought that Clyde Peelings were... I mean, he... I guess I didn't know what the name derived from, but that's cool. The more you know. I am going to see if I can pull it up. Googling things so you don't have to. Clyde Peelings. Clyde Peelings sounds like a Herper's name. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, 2010. Oh, not even back in the day. Yeah, so it's fairly recent. Huh. 2016. Look at that. Wow, look at that. I don't even know what those are. They look like... Those are like sheep. Bad. 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 Alright, this is what we're going to do. You're going to meet me in the middle. We're going to go to Clyde Peelings. I'm I not... Will, I, shh, I will befriend... <laughs> I will befriend one snake... At Clyde Peelings, and we will video our little trip. We'll document it. Sure. I would much prefer you, like me, catch a harmless snake and you handle it. Okay. Baby steps. I would rather it be in a controlled environment first. Okay. Fair enough. We'll do that. As long as you cover my ticket to get into Clyde Peelings. I think you should cover my ticket because I'm doing something I don't want to do. Yeah, but like, meet me halfway. I'm meeting you there. What if we rode together? What if I drove? Did you do it then? I don't like your driving. Why? I don't know. I don't speed. You don't I don't drive fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. So, yeah, we'll do whatever. it. We'll do it. We'll go to Clyde Peelings. We'll check out a snake. Maybe two. Maybe two. Or what we could do is we can start you off on, like, some salamanders. We'll catch some salamanders. Listen, I don't mind manders. I just don't like snakes. Mm -hmm. And I think the salamanders is actually a good segue for a question that we got on our podcast Instagram. Go ahead. Podcast Instagram. All right. So, So this one's from Sophia Rodbill. Sophia, um had actually studied environmental sciences with me at Roanoke College. Okay. Um, very smart young woman and, and uh, gives, a, gives us a pretty good question here. She says, the home I'm living in, the home I'm living in's pool has been abandoned for years and overrun by tadpoles. Is that common? Also, very few mosquitoes are here. How much do tadpoles contribute to lower mosquito populations? Also... What are some good plants to plant to keep deer away? Far too many in Pikesville, Maryland. So I told her we would discuss, and here we are. <laughs> so yeah, Sophia, great question. Um, yeah, a lot of times tadpoles, well, well they're uh, adult versions, so toads or frogs will inhabit abandoned pools, or uh, they're really opportunists in that sense. Um, what you're likely seeing are um, American toad tadpoles. Um, they are they basically mate throughout the warm months, um, and they are like 
really rapid breather breeders. They do contribute a bunch to taking down mosquito populations. Don't frogs eat mosquitoes? Frogs. Um, so I don't actually, I can't give you a solid answer on that. I do know that uh, the tadpoles in their, you know, the larval stage of frogs will consume larval stage mosquitoes. Will they eat them when they're hanging out on top of the water? Uh, I would imagine, yes. Okay. Um, so Snack time! <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so tadpoles are really valuable in the sense around your home. If you've got stagnant water, if you have tadpoles in that you know, little ponding basin or a little runoff or vernal pool, um, tadpoles are really going to help you out in terms of limiting the amount of mosquitoes that you'll end up having around your house. So great question. Great question. To the second part of that question about deer. Um, some, what are some good plants to plant to keep deer far away? Um, so what I read was like good spices interplanted between, uh, whatever you got going on. So like, um, like dill or... That's tough because if there is something there that they like, they're still going to go to... Yeah, if it's like an arbovita tree or they crush those, you know, anything like that that they like, they're still going to go and eat it. Um, I know they have a bunch of different sprays and things like that that you can spray on plants, trees. Um, I don't know if it's like a bitter tasting type stuff, but it's something that the deer don't like. Um, I personally don't know if there's anything specific to ward them off because I'm trying to bring them in. <laughs> and Sophia, never actually... send all your deer up to Ben. <laughs> Please. He'll take care of all of them. Because then, I mean, you have the tools that would most effectively keep deer away, and that's like uh, a bow. I mean, I've never, I've never seen more than like five at a time, so I may go into shock if there's really that many. Which is amazing to me because the region in which we live in Pennsylvania is like, you can't drive a mile without seeing a dead deer on the side of the road. More on the road than I do in the woods. Wow. Yeah. And I think you might have to change where you hunt. Uh, that's the only option I have. Well, I do hunt a couple different places because I go public land in the state forest with my brother-in-law, but... The, the one private area is my only private area option. So you were telling me you went to some archery challenge the other day in Seven Springs. Yes. Where exactly is Seven Springs? Uh, Seven Springs is, I believe it's just south of Pittsburgh. It's about three and a half hours west uh, from here in Bloomsburg. But it is one of the coolest places that I've ever been to. Now, I was only there for this event, which was an archery event. But it is like an outdoors person's, you know, like paradise. Pretty much. Um, there's so much to do out there. Uh, now, in the winter, it's, it's a ski resort. Nice. In, in the summer, in the fall, they have... All sorts of events that happen throughout the, you know, those times. They have tubing. You can hike. They have millions of trails. They have zip lines. They have um, 
like a shooting range slash like clay pigeon shoot type thing going on regularly. Um, I think they actually host a lot of group type, you know, shoots. You know, if you have like a team and you're going to do team building stuff, you know, they'll host you and set you up, you know, in any of the outdoor outdoor activities. Um, I'm pretty sure they have mountain biking also because I think a lot of the trails that we, you know, covered in between our shots were actually mountain biking trails. That's sweet. It was, yeah, awesome. Um, if, if it was closer, I would probably go there a couple times through the, the summer, especially yeah. with the kids, uh, to get them up there. Um, a lot of fishing there, too, because there's a bunch of small stream. I, I'm sure there's probably great trout fishing up in that area. Um, but what it was, uh, Total Archery Challenge, um, Mountain Ops, who is a supplement slash apparel company in the outdoors uh, sponsors and runs this and they host it at a a few different places which are usually ski resorts and what they do is they come in they kind of take over and set up different courses along the ski resort so what you do is you would ride the ski lift which I hate up to the top of the mountain it's like a western Pennsylvania ski lift it's like a hundred yards. No, this this was like a legit ski lift, not like a not a Vermont ski lift. But the, these were actually much or, different than like Montage and some of the other. So was it like a gondola? Like you actually got in to a small, not an enclosed, not enclosed. No, okay, you're the, sitting the on bench. The lift. Okay, you pull the, yeah. the little bar over top. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of how long. It was maybe like a couple minute ride on that thing up to the top. Oh, that's some of my favorite stuff. Because I snowboarded <laughs> in, the, in the winter and uh, uh, go out to Colorado with my boys. And What is uh, the longest ski lift you ever rode? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say it's probably at Vail in, uh, in Colorado. It was like... A gondola, so the one you actually stand in, like with a bunch of people in your board. Close the door, and then they close the door, and you go like maybe five and a half thousand feet up, and then you actually strap in, and then you ride to another ski lift. So not a gondola, but the one that you sit in, and you go then higher, you, and then you sit in it, and you go like maybe another two and a half thousand feet, and then you get literally in another one. And then go another two and a half thousand feet, and so you're you know your ending altitude's probably like eleven twelve thousand feet, um, and then you just bomb it on the way down, man. It's so <laughs> it's so awesome, um, but it's it was funny. Like I know you're supposed to be talking about archery, but here we are, and you shouldn't have brought up ski lifts. But sorry, um, ski getting on ski lifts if you're afraid of heights. It's no bueno. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna mess with you. I hate it. And this definitely was nothing like that. This, like I said, maybe a couple, five minutes yeah. we were on there. In between five and ten. Uncomfortable as hell. Did you, did, put, this, did you put the thing down? Oh, God, yes, we did. <laughs> as soon as we get on there, my, my brother-in-law and I both like look at each other we're like, oh, shit, what do we do? And then I was like, oh, the bar. 
and like pull it down over oh, top, man. and then we're like, oh, thank I God. Didn't, I didn't feel good, but it felt better. You know what's funny about ski lifts is that you're always looking at the one in front of you, and like you see the amount of space between where your butt is and where the ground is, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God. And then you forget, or well, then you realize that you're sitting on the same thing. And underneath you is like a 70-foot void of air in which if you fell, you would go almost terminal velocity Mm -hmm. and hit the ground very hard. No bueno. No bueno. Like it's one thing to fall out of a ski lift when there's a ton of snow on the ground. Yeah. It's completely different (laughs) to fall out of a ski lift when there are just rocks. Broken things and probably death. So were you holding, like, your archery equipment as you went up? So, yes. When you get on, you know, when you're skiing, you just have your poles or you have your board attached, but you yeah. don't have anything in your arms. We, w- when we're shooting at this, and I think most people do this, they would wear a backpack, which you'd carry, you know, your water, your extra arrows, yeah. your binos, your rangefinder, whatever it is that What's you would a bino? need. Binoculars. Binos. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. I hate you right now. <laughs> so anyways, you got your, your goodies in your backpack, maybe a few snacks, some extra water, and then you have your bow, obviously, mm-hmm. too. So to sit on there with backpack on is awkward, which pushes yes. your ass towards the edge yep. of the seat. Yep. So it was like a quick sit down, backpack off before this thing takes flight, and you're holding on to your bow, and you're like, oh, well, where do I put everything? So mm-hmm. I... I just laid my bow on my lap, got my backpack off, and then we got that damn bar down pretty quick. Um, but then getting off at the top, making sure you don't leave anything on yep. there, A, number one. Or stay strapped in. Or yeah. you get like a like a hook on your bag stuck onto the actual lift itself. Dude, that's asking for trouble. One it, of my boys who <laughs> skis literally got his backpack got a hook. caught in a hook. <laughs> When we went to Steamboat in Colorado, and oh my gosh, he like they had to stop the lift, and he was literally on his <laughs> like way dangling. back down. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just like pointing at him and laughing, and it's oh. like it happens to a lot of people. But if it happens to somebody who's like a part of your crew or like you know has been skiing or boarding for a long time, it's like they're gonna get roasted. Oh, they should. Yeah. That's fantastic. A tip, though. <clears throat> Next time you go to Seven Springs and you're feeling a little nervous about putting your backpack into the ski lift, see if you can just, like, take one strap off and have your other buddy take, like, the same strap off so your backpacks are, like, you know, over one shoulder but back to back. Or just put it on Or just put it backwards. on the front and yeah. look like a jerry. It's all right. Nobody, nobody looks at. I guess nobody cares. Yeah. So how was it? Like, how'd you shoot? All right. So, well, you get to the top. There's, they have a couple different courses. There's the ones at Seven Springs. They had a Sika course, which is a Western hunting like setup. So you're shooting large animal. Yeah, like Sika, like the like the Kika. Yeah, Kika, Kika, Camo Company. You know, it's all Western like colors. Yeah, setup. So most of the targets were ram, elk, uh, there's a stag deer, I believe, one bear, um, but it was all pretty much Western animals. And the shots that you were taking, a lot of the shots you're shooting from, 
you know, an elevated position as you're coming down the mountain. Yeah. Uh, so they, they have tar- 25 targets per course, and you work your way from the top of the mountain down, and you shoot the, the 3D as you go. And each one is obviously set up differently. Some, the animal was out in the open, but you were shooting from, you know, a high position down where um, the angle of your shot was, I mean, for me, it was unlike anything that I've ever shot before. Yeah. And the idiot that I am, you know, because I hunt in PA. Are you saying idiots hunt in PA? No, I'm, I'm I'm saying I'm an idiot. Who hunts in PA. Right, but me, the idiot, okay. who hunts in PA, okay. um, typically I'm sitting in a tree stand. I'm not doing any stalking, but the rangefinder I have does not have this newfangled angle composition, angle compensation. 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 Angle compensation, which I think all the rangefinders that you can get now probably have this. I'm just... So how outdated. does it read? Does it just give you the distance already compensated or does it give you an angle in which to shoot at the new ones i believe will give you the distance to shoot so it automatically compensates the angle okay. at which your shot is and will give you the appropriate distance to shoot so what you're saying is change. it doesn't have like a tiny protractor right it's well, like it'll shoot tell you, 85 degrees it'll tell you the degree of angle that your shot is oh sweet but it'll, like I said, the, the the distance is adjusted for you that shows up on the, you know, on the screen. My rangefinder does not have this. So luckily the guys that we shot with, there was another group of two guys that went with us for our time. The one guy did have one of those. So we would use his rangefinder, a lot of the shots. Um, some of them I tried to do myself without using his um, just to see if I could adjust, and I was basically winging it. Yeah. Um, missed every single time, like target completely. When I tried to do the math in my head, yeah. which I don't know what the math is, but call if, that move. If we were elevated, I would shoot, you know, less distance than what it read. Yeah. If we were shooting uphill, I would shoot more distance than what it read. I don't know if I was doing the right thing or not, but is I that... can tell you it wasn't because I didn't hit a damn thing on those when I tried to do it myself. Yeah, is that like a um, contested thing in, in archery in the archery world, like people who use rangefinders versus people who don't? Well, no, um, because you know you want to make the most ethical shot any time that you can. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is wound an animal. And, you know, have it take hours before it ends up succumbing. Right. So in order to do that, in mo- you know, it's in most cases, it's best to use the rangefinder so that you can do it properly and yeah. make a good shot. If you're guessing, that can lead to, to bad shots, and you definitely don't want to do that. So That's a great answer. In, in hunting, I mean, if anybody gives you a hard time about using a rangefinder, they should get kicked in the pills. Really? Yeah, with both feet. Ooh, um, that would be hard to do. But do you think PJ could kick people? Oh, with both feet. Rochambeau them with both feet. What's that mean? It's the. I'm not gonna get into it. But it's a game where you kick people in the nuts. I don't know. You're getting me off topic, man. You play some weird games. Uh, I didn't play it. I just know it. 
Oh, okay. I think it's like a. I know a guy who knows a guy who knew a guy that played it. I think the Thai play it. Really? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. I just I could have just made that up actually. But anyways, um, so so no, like with hunting, you know, range finders use it. I mean, you should be making the best shot possible at all times. There should never be any guesswork because again, I you know I said about making the best shot. Now, if you're competing in 3D you know, shoots or tournaments, most times they will not allow you to use a rangefinder if you're, if you're shooting competition. So okay. for like target shooting? Yes. Okay. Um, Which makes sense. So if, if that was a competition where, you know, we were scoring, you score as you do the, the 3D shoot coming down the mountain anyways, but if, if those scores were going to count towards anything – you know, most of the competitive shoots, you're not allowed to use a rangefinder. Okay. So a lot of guys are pretty good at being able to just, you know, adjust using their eyes. They've done it so often, you know, for so long, they, they can, you know, they know roughly distance-wise what each shot is. Um, but I have not done that long enough. You know, I, I'm pretty good for 20 to 35-ish. I can kind of guesstimate you know, those distances. But again, the angle composition thing, that changes it. The size of the target changes it too. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of times where, and we usually will do this, when you come up to a target, we'll, we'll say, oh, that looks like 45. Or you're trying to guess yeah. and then range it to see, you know, if you're at least close. And where you, where you get screwed up is if it's a pretty big animal or a big target. Yeah. If the target's like 60 away, 60 yards, it may look closer because the animal is large. So that can mess with you or vice versa. If it's a smaller target and, you know, it's, it looks okay in your head, it's 20, um, but it's actually a little bit further than that. So you practice that way where you guess, but then you always range. But if you're shooting, you know, competitively, they, they probably won't allow you to do that. Yeah. So, you know, with how, like, it's it's kind of all relative. You get that huge animal at 60 yards, it makes it look like it's more like 45, or you get a tiny animal at 60 yards, it makes it look like 70. Right. So, you, as an archer, archer, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, you would look for maybe a, a set point. So, like, what would you use? Would you use, a um, like, a large object and at least in the vicinity or would you like i don't know kind of walk me through that to try to reference the animal without yeah. using your rangefinder yeah for me like i mean <clears throat> i will try to use whatever trees are around that's kind of how i would range in my head um but again it's not 100 percent accurate but i look at the trees i look at the size of the trees and I tried to, like, okay, this tree's 10 yards away. Range that one and confirm the distance. Okay, and then from that tree, I try to guesstimate the distance or something that's relatively close. Then I try to, you know, keep tacking on 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards in my head. Now, whether or not that's, I don't know if that's what most people do. That's what yeah, I yeah. do. But again, I'm not always correct anyways. But when guesstimating, that's kind of how I would go about doing it. Right, right. Now... Do you, like, uh, how much do you have to compensate for, like, windage when when that happens? Well, windage, the, f- 
there's there's a couple different factors that go into play. Uh, a, the distance of your shot, the speed of your bow, or the speed at which your arrow would travel, the weight of your arrow also plays a factor. So the further away your shot, the more wind you would have to play into it. Mm-hmm. The shorter the shot, the less wind. But if it's, I mean, for me, if it's out, if it's here, you know, in central PA, if I'm hunting, if it's super windy, I'm not going to go out and sit in a stand anyways, yeah. unless, you know, I know Tommy 12 points hanging out in the, in the near vicinity, <laughs> then I'll just I'll go anyways, because you're not going to see anything from inside. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah get yeah. out there. But usually if it's, if it's super windy, it's tough. You know, it's tough because they'll pick up your scent a lot easier anyways, too. So Yeah. And I'm assuming that, like, this might sound like a really stupid question, but I'm assuming that you're shooting at a short enough range to where you're not accounting for the rotation of the Earth. Newsflash to everybody, the Earth rotates and it's round, globular. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> what is... Uh, do you take into account the Coriolis effect? No. No? All right, no. fine. But I'm sure, you know, guys that would be hunting out west where, you know, if if they're hunting elk or something like that, where their distance of shot might be a little bit longer, I mean, maybe. Uh, like a but, mile. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I, I mean, you're not shooting a rifle. So every, every shot, I mean, there, there might be guys that shoot, you know, a large animal, 60 yards away, 80 yards away. Is that um, a long shot in archery? That's, yes, yeah. Um, you know, typically most most guys, regular guys are going to shoot like 20 to 30 yards or inside of that. Now, guys that get out and practice and shoot regularly, you know, a couple times a week or even every day, if they can make a more accurate shot regularly, you know, out to 45, 50 yards – you still wouldn't necessarily want to take that per se if you know you can get a closer shot. But if it's somebody like that that's, you know, they're putting it within a silver dollar, you know, at 40 to 50, they might take that shot. It's pretty badass. Yeah. But again, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of other factors that go into the further distances that you shoot. Um, but for the most part, like I said, mostly around here, unless you're hunting fields, most guys are in the woods, you're not going to have lanes to shoot out mm-hmm. quite that far with branches hanging over, you know, or, um, if there's leaves from trees, I mean, it, it's really hard to hunt in the woods and have open lanes to shoot out, you know, those yeah. type of distances yeah. anyways. Yeah. So I feel like, um, you know, with, with archers, like, so this is, uh, you know, this is the active man podcast. Right. We like right. to think that not only, would our archer listeners, our archery listeners, um, you know, shoot bow and arrows, but they also work out or they might have some sort of um, maybe ailment of the shoulders or the elbow. Is there anything um, that they might be able to do that like might be able to um, relieve any shoulder discomfort when, when, when drawing back? Is that a thing? It is. Um, I, I, they're probably with like a lot of competitive guys if they're not taking care of themselves would have different types of shoulder ailments similar to now it's not the same because it's not an overhead thrower athlete but similar to an overhead thrower athlete I mean you're going to have your exercises that you should be doing to you know kind of manage 
the, the care of your shoulder a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a guy that's shooting, you know, 500 arrows a day, that's a lot. And that's, yeah. that's a lot of repetition. So same as a guy, a pitcher, you know, if a pitcher was throwing, not just pitching, but I mean like yeah. throwing that much every single day, you're going to get some wear and tear. Yeah. Um, yeah. and because you're constantly using the one side, well, you're using your left and right side, but your right side is what, if you're right-handed, you're drawing back with that right arm. Yeah. Your left hand is holding isometrically. So as you row and pull that string back, the left hand is staying still in that isometric position. So it's getting worked in a different way. If you've never done anything else to basically keep things in balance, you'll, you'll have problems down the road there too. I mean, obviously you're, your right side would be different than your left side if it yeah. constantly did those two same things over and over and over and nothing ever to, you know, bring them back into balance. I have an idea. The next time you go out and... Shooting or hunting? Shoot. Just shooting. Just shooting. I'm going to take a barbell and I'm going to take a nice resistance band. I'm going to fashion myself a true... Active man, longbow. <laughs> My brother-in-law might let you borrow one of his. He's got a couple of them. That's what he uses. He went with me and shot the whole course. Longbow? That whole course with it. Well, it's not a longbow. It's a, a trad bow. It's a traditional. Um, his is pretty nice. It's got the company that makes his striker bows. It has a compound handle to it. And then it's a breakdown bow. So the, the top and lower limbs can be taken off, uh, you know, for travel purposes and then mounted back on. Uh, but he shot the whole course with that. And the course that we shot, most of the distances were 40 to, I think our furthest was like 123 yards. Damn. Um, so a lot of the shots he would work his way into 35, 40 yards yeah. and shoot. Uh, but he still would let an arrow go at some of those longer distances just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the one shot, the toughest shot of the course, we're standing at basically the top of, um, we'll say like a ridge. Um, and it must have been a slope where you were coming kind of in and out of the woods. What's that called? Like a, not a trail. Like it wasn't just an open slope you know, straight down. It was kind of one where it would have went back and forth, maybe like a switchback. Like a switchback. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're at the top, and there's a goat or a ram down at the bottom. It's 123 yards with my rangefinder without yeah. the angle compensation. So I shot, missed. I was like five feet short. I think I guesstimated and shot for 100 yards. And then with his with his trad bow. In the video, it's pretty funny. Like he, when he draws back, he's pointing at the target, and then he'll, you know, aim upwards. Yeah. And to see where he's pointing at the target, and then where he aimed, he's like aiming up at the horizon. It looks like he's shooting at the sun. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> now there's a tree directly behind this this ram target, and his his arrow. He actually made a pretty good shot, I mean, for that distance. Yeah. Unfortunately, he'll never get his arrow back because it's lodged about three-quarters of the way up the street. <laughs> but next year when we go back, we'll be able to see it. Hopefully it's still there. there. Hopefully it's there forever. A wow. nice memento. Very cool. Now, what bow, like, has the capability of shooting the furthest or the farthest? Um, 
I mean, there, there's a bunch out there now with like the speeds at which you can shoot on a lot of these new compounds. I mean, obviously that gives you a, a better chance at shooting distance. I won't say easier, but a better chance at shooting distance where you can shoot. Whether it's accurate, accurately or not, that's just going to come with practice, your equipment, your yeah. sight, you know, all that type of stuff. But the bow that I have now currently, I mean, I, I can shoot out to 100 yards with, with the sight that I have. Um, is it pinpoint accurate? No, again. Yeah. Um, but if it's a pretty large size target, I know I can put it on target. I know I can put it usually within like a foot, a foot and a half. It, my grouping would be much larger at a hundred yards yeah, than it would at like 60. Yeah. But I'm confident that I can hit the target from that distance, whether it's the small, you know, silver dollar bullseye area. Yeah. No, not necessarily. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But so, the speeds definitely help, you know, give you the ability to shoot okay, that far. That makes sense. So, um, like in with, with with shooting rifles or or really just any sort of firearm, you have a basically a ratio for how much it spins per foot mm-hmm. it goes. Is that similar in, in in archery? Does the does the arrow actually spin or yes. does it stay straight? No, it rotates. Um, the fletching that you have on your arrow determine how fast it spins. Um, the fletching. The fletching. Is that the, the, the feathers the, on the back? That's what you would call. You would call the feathers. Yes. You said that very in a derogatory <laughs> manner. Didn't mean it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at like an old traditional arrow the feathers of the arrow is the fletching. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can fletch an arrow. Um, what if you went to a to a bow and arrow shop and you were like, my feathers are all messed up. They'd probably send you home. Would they? I don't know. Try it. Or they wouldn't send you home. <laughs> they would realize that you they don't would say, know what you're talking about and they would try and suck some money out of you, right? They, they, they would probably size you up and figure out within seconds that you're not really a, a, a traditional archer. Have you run into any people that like try and use that terminology, you know, on a whim and then you uh, realize that they are just like kind of full of shit? Not that I've come across, but I'm sure, I mean, like anything else, I'm sure there's yahoos out there that A, would try to do it to be funny or just stupid or whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the archery community, honestly, like it's, it's a good group of people I haven't really ever come across any bad people that have been associated with it. That's um, cool. I, I don't know. It's unlike anything else that I've ever participated in. Baseball, yeah. I mean, you run across guys that are super cocky oh my and God, yeah. arrogant yeah. and aren't willing to help you, you know, if you would need help. Archery, it seems like, at least everybody that I've come in contact with, if you ever are in need of something or help, everybody is so willing to help you. And has been nothing but supportive and nice, um, you know, whatever it may be. It's it's like people just want to kind of help each other. Again, there's probably people out there that aren't like that. Yeah, but at yeah. least the people that I've come across with and dealt with in all of the shoots that I've been to at Seven Springs, everybody was awesome. You know, so many different levels of people too, from beginner to guys that shoot competitively. But that doesn't matter. Like at least the people that I've dealt with, it. You know, you're. It's like a pretty tight group or, yeah, or at least it's, it's like a it's supportive cadre. Super people. supportive. Like I said, just different than any, I mean, I don't know, would you call it athletics? 
It's not. I would. I mean, it's it's a sport. I mean, yes, no, it's just whatever, whatever your definition of an athlete is. Yeah. But I would I would but consider the, a, the group know, as a athlete. whole has been so supportive with everybody that I've come in contact with, which is pretty awesome. I mean, there's definitely like a a good solid knit like family type feeling mm-hmm. when when you're at one of these events um, doing it for the brand. Contact, you know, um, it's it's just. It's awesome. People helping people. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's um, dope. And, and, you know, if anybody's thinking about going to, you know, a 3D shoot, there's a bunch of local ones in your area that are usually at the different, you know, sportsman's clubs or some places have archery clubs. We have an archery club here in Bloomsburg that I'm a member of. Um, if you're thinking about doing the Total Archery Challenge, I would say you definitely have to. It is freaking awesome. Now it's not a tournament. It's more of like you just pay you shoot to go. For fun. And, yeah, you shoot for fun. Yeah, um, you can go. You sign up for like in golf. You have tee times. You have a knock time that you sign up for, and that's when you go shoot your whichever course that you pick. And then what they do is after one o'clock in the afternoon, anybody can go to any course. Dude, but I'm before just like, that, you have to you have an appointment. That's when your time is. That's yeah, when you yeah, go shoot. Yeah. I'm just envisioning um, you like when you said it was like a tea time, like you've got multiple people on like <laughs> like just waiting in line. Somebody else four, except it's not yeah. a straight ball; it's I, a straight arrow, and like potentially you, just you, like you know, you kind of yeah. ran into people, but it wasn't so busy that you had to wait. Like we went from station to station or target to target, station to station or target to target, and if we had to wait, it was like a minute. That's sweet. So it wasn't so packed. Now it was sold out every day. But even even being sold out, we didn't have to wait at any target yeah. more than like a minute. So nobody got impaled. Not that I know of, but I'm sure at some of these, maybe, uh, no, I shouldn't say that because I have no idea. They, they run it so well. They have the targets so spread out that it's nearly impossible unless you're an idiot. Or like you're literally trying no safety. to shoot yeah. someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because usually after after one of the targets, you're walking, you're hiking through trails or you're walking a bit of distance to get to the next one. They're really spread out uh, along that mountain. Um, and probably for safety purposes and, you know, it's, it's, it's just neat because you're hiking at the same time, you know, as, as you're shooting. So it also, I mean, you're getting some... You know, if you're the first guy to shoot when you get to the target, you're getting some cardio in there. You're practicing on how to control your breathing, how to control your heart rate. Um, you know, a lot of the terrain, it's not flat. You're walking up, down, side hill. Um, for anybody that, that does go, I will tell you this. Do not wear shoes without ankle support. I made the mistake of doing that. And what are you wearing, my, like tennis shoes? I wore, I have tra- like my trail running trail shoes, runners, I wore, yeah, yeah. which was great. For the terrain, as far as you know, having traction, but my ankles were so angry afterwards. Uh, so I'll never, I'll never wear those again. I'll, I'll at least wear my, you know, my boots out there just to have a little bit of ankle support, so they're not so cranky. But I'm old, you know. I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken anymore either. Now maybe 15 years ago I would have been fine doing that. But you're like 35, 36, bro. 36. I hope that when I get to like mid thirties <laughs> that I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm just so old and like, you know, you stand up from a chair and you're like, <laughs> I say that mostly out of jest, jest, uh, jest. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not really old, but there are things that I could be smarter in my choices that would make my joints feel better after doing certain things. 
Indeed. Indeed. You know? And I think that's it's really cool, especially when you get involved in a sport like archery, because, I mean, you get, you know, literally kids who are doing it up until, what, like 60, 70? I mean, there's people that shoot well beyond that, too. I mean, people that hunt archery, even, like, in their 90s. That's insane. It just depends on the person. Like, if you're if you're active and you're able to get out, I mean, that's what I would, to be able to do that would be awesome. So I is that like I one of your goals? Well, I would love to. Just like one of my goals is to pitch in my men's league past 40. That would be amazing. I would hate for me. I, one of the things that I would absolutely hate is to not be able to do something physically because my body is not prepared or in shape for. Now, I'm secretly terrified of that as well. Like if I it's, have. you know, if it's something that. But yeah, it would still suck, but I don't want it to be on my end because I didn't put in the effort to prepare and take care of my body yeah, no in doubt. order to do it. Like, that's kind of like with me is that, like, I, if I'm 85 years old and I'm still shredding the mountain on a board, awesome. I will be so happy. Yeah. So happy. Like, that's kind of like when they, people have, like, these little goals. It's like, where do they, you know, when they get to, you know, the later chapters of their life. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that they want to still be doing that they enjoy now? And for you, it's archery. Yeah. And for I, me, I it's like snowboarding and hiking. And Just like you want to snowboard, you know, 60s, 70s. Like, I want to be able, and hopefully I can do this financially at that point too, but yeah. I would love to go on hunts out west in the mountains oh, and, yeah. and be able to handle that, you know, with with no issues I don't want my physical condition to be the deterrent for me being able to enjoy an experience like that. You know and we mean? hope that our listeners feel the same way <laughs> and that they get some inspiration from people like you. See, but I'm not old. I'm not that old. Not that old. No. Even though you said that. I did. I didn't mean it. But that, that is one of the reasons that, I, you know, I not specifically got into fitness and exercise and and that was what I studied in college but I definitely wanted to make sure that that was a top priority but I want to help other people you know people here at the gym that are members that that hunt out west I want to be somebody that can help you know maybe somebody that's in their 60s be prepared to go on a hunt like that with their kids or friends I do I I don't want you know, their physical condition or ability to be the deterrent from them enjoying such a, you know, a great experience like that with friends or family, stuff like that. That's so cool. That makes sense. And I've, you know, real quick, interesting story, which, um, is, it has a good ending because the guy's alive. Uh, alive is good. My, my, my dad is a, is a surgeon and he, um, operates on on people's heads and necks if they have various tumors and stuff like that and um he had this patient um who was an avid hunter and you know he had he had some stuff going on in in terms of uh you know he needed he needed surgery my dad was assessing him and he was talking to him after he was assessing him and he and he noticed that um or he was concerned that he was not going to be able to do the surgery uh, because the the gentleman had actually gone out west to hunt elk and was in northern Colorado hunting elk, uh, shot an elk, tracked it. I, I don't know for how long. Ended up coming onto it, 
but a bear found it first. Oh, no. That um, happens. And the bear proceeded to attack him. Oh. And I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if it was a grizzly bear or a black bear. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming where they were, it could have been a grizzly bear. Uh, it was like north, northern Colorado, so you're you know, in the kind of Wyoming area. Mm-hmm. Um, but this bear attacked him, literally ripped his nose off. The guy ended up, like, I guess losing consciousness, took his nose, put it in his pocket, and walked to town and was alive. And the reason why my dad couldn't do any surgery is because um, he was he still had to do reconstructive surgery uh-huh. for, the, uh, for the attack. For it got there. But oh. that's, I mean, Dude. I'm sorry... <laughs> Give you a terrible story, <laughs> but you know it's just one of those things. If you're outside, I mean, you know, always be careful. I know I like to defend snakes and stuff like that, yeah. but there are you there is wildlife that can um, that they, can do some damage. Wild animals, like they they're wild. They're not cuddly, furry pets. I mean, you should always be prepared for any type of scenario that you would be in contact. You know, and know what to do, roughly. Yeah. You know, in any type of situation like that. Always be prepared. Not that they're necessarily going to attack you, but you definitely want to have, you know, an idea, whether it's carrying bear spray or... And by the way, bear spray works more than a gun. I don't care what <clears throat> anyone says. I would I was, just take both. <laughs> I was hiking in Alaska and literally had a... Uh, I don't know if it was a park ranger or a local ranger out of Talkeetna, which is the, the, the mountain town where they fly people in and out to Denali, um, third largest mountain in, uh, in the world, I believe, the largest in the northern or in North America. Um, but this woman had, had come up on us with her, AT, with her ATV, and she didn't see that we were carrying bear spray. And she comes up to us and was like, you guys carrying bear spray? Like, pissed off. <laughs> because they recognize that you know, if you're out and you're not carrying anything like that, you could find yourself in a really, really terrible situation. Yeah. Um, you definitely so don't want to be in that situation. When it comes sure. to uh, when it comes to a gun versus bear spray, you know, I recognize that there are some really good people, that, you know, good with firearms, but they make bear spray for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure you can, if you look it up, you can find some statistics where. Um, Bear spray works more often than not, especially more often uh, than when you miss with a gun. Yeah, you definitely got to be prepared. Yeah, that's for sure. So, what are we going to talk about next? Oh, let's. Uh, we we had some awesome questions come in on Instagram um, on a couple different topics, but I think maybe the next episode, let's just do a bunch of uh, question and answer. Any topics. You know, whether it's fitness, hiking, outdoors, hunting, archery, camping. Yeah, I think that's great. Fishing, I, I snake wrangling. Snake wrangling. Amphibian chasing. Amphibian chasing. If you, Also, if you guys have questions on um, on water quality stuff, that's really where Ooh. a lot of my expertise that's is. That's Gab's bread and butter uh, right that's, there. Uh, that's Gab's bread and butter. A lot of my butter. bread and butter. I work in, in the mining reclamation field, uh, but more specifically with mine drainage. So I, I'm, I'm able to recognize the difference between clean water and not clean water. So if you guys have questions on that, you know, feel free. Feel free. 
but you know what we'll do is we'll post uh we'll make a post before the next podcast and then you type in your questions and we'll answer them and we will answer every single one of them unless it's like heinously inappropriate which we won't do that no 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 heinous stuff no heinous stuff but we thank you guys for listening we appreciate you all all y'all signing off signing off ben and gav ben and gav and Gene, Ben Jerry's, the Active Men podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.